So next up, we have Hannah. Hannah is a virtual assistant coach and recruiter and founder of one of the largest and longest running VA training platforms called Digital Nomad Kit. She's trained over 16,000 VAs who go on to work with top entrepreneurs and thought leaders. So tune in to Hannah. Welcome to the Are We Home Yet podcast, where I talk to expats about what it's like living, working, making a home abroad. You'll get great information for your move abroad via this podcast. Also, go to the website, arewehomeyetpodcast.com, and subscribe to the blog for more helpful information to make your home abroad a success. I'm your host, Jalila Clark. Welcome to the show. All right. Welcome back to the Are We Home Yet podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Hannah. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay, me too. Me too. All right. So where do you currently live and how long have you lived there? I am currently in Guanajuato in Mexico, and I have been here all of two weeks. Oh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Just got <okay>. my residency. <laughs> so I actually spent a lot of time here last year, which has influenced my decision to come here this year um, and actually get residency and stay here a bit longer. So it, okay. not two weeks technically, but um, I love it here. The reason I'm here is because the people are so friendly. I've made a community here that I have been struggling to find all over the world for many, many years. I've found mm. that here. Mm. Um, the music is great. Did I say the food? I think I said the food. <laughs> um, and I, I really like the diversity of the landscapes here. You can be in the mountains, in the cool air. You can go uh, skiing. A lot of people don't know you can do that in Mexico. You can go to oh. the beach or you can go to the desert and there's history. I just, there's nothing not to like really. Okay. Okay. All right. So then like uh, you said two weeks and where, where, where were you living before then? Uh, I was in Thailand. So I've actually been a digital nomad for many, many years. Um, mm -hmm. So I kind of, I would say I'm like a, a intermittent expert, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, mm -hmm. So I've done like a few years in some places and then I've traveled more quickly in between those places. So I'm just coming to the end of a more quickly period. Uh, mm -hmm. But this time feels like I'm going to settle for, for the longer term here. I have a four-year visa now. So um, I think I'm going to be here for quite some time. So before this, I was in Thailand for three months. Before that, I was in Germany for three months. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of went like that for a couple of years until uh, back during COVID, I was in Austria for a full year. So that would be the last time I spent a significant time somewhere. Okay. All right. How did you find like that specific place in Mexico? Like what prompted the move to Mexico? Like like of any other places that you, you could have mm -hmm. chosen to move to? Sure. Um, so I've been doing house sitting for a long time, which is where you take care of someone's house while they're away or their pets. Mm -hmm. um, and it's quite a big community around that. And I've got a lot of friends who are also sitters. Um, and last year, a couple of my friends said, well, you should come and hang out in Guanajuato. We have this beautiful house here. Why don't you come stay with us for a while? We didn't know what to do really with our time. Uh, we were a bit like lost on the next destination and kind of feeling like we wanted to find some sort of sense of home and community for a while. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, yeah, so we came here and we were introduced to plenty of other people within their circle, uh, which all turned out to be great people that we absolutely adore and have become very good friends now. Um, so it kind of just uh, snowballed from, from those original people inviting us here. Uh, I've always been someone who someone says somewhere is great to visit. I'm down for checking it out. So uh, just kind of went like that, really. Okay. Okay. You know, you mentioned that, you know, you were living in Thailand, you were living in Germany, you were living in Austria. Okay. But where are you originally from? I'm originally from the UK. I have um, dual citizenship with the US, but I grew up in the UK. So mm -hmm. from the UK, <laughs> when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I would always have my heads in, you know, books about different places in the world. This is pre-internet days mm -hmm. um, or just, just starting with the internet days. Um, you know, constantly looking at maps and atlases and I was obsessed with it and then when I was about 16 it was the school holidays in the UK it's about six weeks and I didn't know what to do with my time and I remember going to my teacher and saying why well, don't know what to do with the six weeks like what am I going to do and mm -hmm. maybe I'll get a part-time job in a grocery store or something and she said you have a passport right I was like mm -hmm. yeah she's like why don't you go to France you know France is like an easy trip from England and I'd never considered like I'm like almost an adult now I could travel mm -hmm. um and so I did, me and my best friend at the time, we went to uh, France and we went to Holland and Belgium. We did a train tour and I was hooked. I was like, this, this is me, this, I need to be oh, out there 
experiencing the world and it never really stopped from then um you know it was intermittent for the next couple of years and then full-time after a point and uh, I, I never looked back really uh, so i use this website um it's still operating now workaway.info and another mm-hmm. one called helpx.net mm-hmm. and those are work exchange platforms so i had very little money on me um i would literally hitchhike um or catch rides from my host at these work exchanges to my next work exchange or somewhere close to it. So uh, I would do things like I'd work in um, farms or bars or hostels. Um, I even worked with husky dogs in Austria for almost a year, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would work three to five hours a day for food and accommodation. Uh, So that's really how I traveled for those initial years. um, The first six to seven years, actually, of that um, were, were spent that way. Okay. And, and, what- and then a house sitting, of course. I found out that about that sort of via word of mouth um, mm-hmm. by doing these work exchanges. There's a lot of people that were already doing that. Um, and actually, when it when I first heard about it, I thought, well, that's probably for like, you know, other people, not me. You have to be really established and have all these reviews and stuff. But turned out that um, people were quite trusting with me early on because I had that experience with the dogs in Austria. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to use him as a reference that the guy who ran that place as I was looking after 16 dogs on my own for almost almost a month at that point. Mm. Um, And so having those references and also just talking about my experience growing up with animals, um, you know, job references that I'd had in the past, uh, they worked well. So the house sitting kind of works that you apply and it's almost like applying for a job. You kind of have to like big yourself up and have some referrals and that kind of thing. Um, And once you get into the swing of it, it's um, you'll start getting contacted for, uh, you know, so-and-so is going away and they really want to have you come. Uh, so that's kind of where it got to, but um, it starts just like, it's kind of like having a career, I guess. Let's take a quick break. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Want to make your move abroad as smooth as possible? Download the ebook from the arewehomeyetpodcast.com website for resources in making a home abroad. Unsure how to make money while living abroad? Download the free teaching online PDF with more than 20 online companies looking for people to teach various languages and different subjects. Download these two great items and make your move abroad a reality. Okay, back to the show. What was like the most interesting experiences that you've had? Interesting experiences that you've had in one place or or maybe that you had in, in various places? Um. That's a big question. I've been to 58 countries now. So yeah. choosing a couple, uh, I would say probably it was in my younger years. I was in mm-hmm. Sumatra and I stayed in a small town called Bukit Loang and they had uh, wild orangutans there. So that was pretty cool. I went trekking in the jungle and came across some wild orangutans. That was probably one of my highlights in all my years on the road. Mm-hmm. Um and then I would say probably in the longer term stints, I lived in Italy for three years. Um, mm-hmm. And I think just getting into that lifestyle, I was the healthiest that I've ever been there. Um, you know, having fresh wine from the neighbor, fresh mm-hmm. olive oil from mm-hmm. the other neighbor, mm-hmm. uh, just eating well, living well, being by the beach. I think that experience was just very wholesome for me. And it's probably not the most like interesting, but it, mm-hmm. it really was like a very big change for me in my life. I changed my lifestyle a lot and it was really yeah, it was really, really a good time for me. You know, you were so young when you started. So what what was the conversation with your family and friends like? Did they doubt you? Did they criticize you? Did they support you? Um, so I had a quite a tumultuous relationship with my family at that age, which probably prompted my original mm-hmm. travels just to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but that d- doesn't mean they weren't worried about me. They, they definitely did have their doubts and concerns, uh, especially, you know, these work exchanges, they were wondering who I was staying with, mm-hmm. where I knew them from, um, how to know if they were going to be safe hosts for me, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and my friends, my friends were just sad to not have me around all the time, I guess. But what was cool is they started visiting me in places when they had time. So they, they still come and they, you know, th- to this day, I still have friends from my childhood that visit me around the world. Um, but with my family, yeah, it was tricky at the beginning, I think the beginning being about seven years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, until I, I started a business and they realized I actually had money and I could support myself. I think that was a big stressor for them knowing that I didn't have employment, like traditional employment in any way Yeah, that, um, that I might find myself homeless somewhere or something like that. Um, and they yeah. couldn't reach me or I didn't have a phone or, you know, cause I didn't have much money. So I didn't have many resources on me. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I think they spent a long time stressed, but I, I think they kind of got used to the stress. Like oh, Hannah's clearly just independent and she'll be fine. And this is her choice, but it did take some time for sure. Tell us about the business. Sure. So I run a business, a business called Digital Nomad Kit um, and mm-hmm. I train virtual assistants. I'm sorry if you can hear dog bark. It's okay, it's okay. We're house sitting for five dogs right now. Um, uh, yeah. So I started a business called Digital Nomad Kit where I train uh, people who want to become virtual assistants um, mm-hmm. and freelancers. So a virtual assistant is like a personal assistant, but online. Mm-hmm. Um, so I help them with building their businesses, uh, landing clients, keeping clients, upskilling, that kind of stuff. And on the other side of that, I also help um, entrepreneurs to hire ethically and intelligently so they can come to me for my matchmaking services. So this actually started seven years ago. Um, not in this form that it's in today. It's changed a lot over the years. But uh, what happened for me was I got to a point where I was kind of tired of those work exchanges. And I, I had a very distinct moment, actually, that I, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And I was in Italy and I was uh, working on a construction site. And I had my, my shoes were like kind of covered in cement and plaster and they were not really acceptable to be worn anymore. Mm-hmm. And I visit, visited friends in, um, in Milan and they invited me to a party and they said, well, what are you going to wear? And I kind of looked down and was like, well, this is all I own. This is like, I don't know. Do you have anything I can borrow? And I was a little bit embarrassed. And I was like, I, it would be nice to have some money, you know, just for things like clothes, and, you know, not having to rely on anyone else for my sustenance in any way anymore. And so I decided to go back to the UK, get a job, do life the way, you know, my friends seem to be doing life. Um, and I actually went onto a dating site and I met somebody who worked online and mm-hmm. that's all I needed to hear. I was like, ding, ding, ding. Oh my God, yeah. the internet is worldwide. I could work online. Um, and so that's really how it started. Um, she taught me everything that I know, uh, you know, today, essentially. Uh, we worked together for some time and then uh, we transitioned out of that. And I ended up working for myself and building this business. But that's really how it started. Learning that I could work online mm-hmm. was like, I was like, I'm going to make this work. This this needs to work for me. I want to keep traveling. It was, you know, I haven't really known, apart from childhood years, I haven't really known anything else but travel. So it really is my lifestyle. So it enabled me to continue um, the way that I've gone for, you know, up to now. Mm-hmm. So that's how, I, that's how I got started. Okay. And, you know, how long after you, like, created the business, like, how long did you see that it was actually viable like you know like it would actually sustain your life and that that you had clients and that people were receiving benefit Mm. yeah so I guess in the first sort of few months it was definitely not not going as I thought it might Mm -hmm. um I was probably a little bit too over uh, excited about it all but Mm-hmm. I, because I had traveled in such a way before that I knew how to really save money. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I did immediately when I, when I got started was I moved myself to Budapest. I rented a room for 90 euros a month. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, I, I, I can make 90 euros a month, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I knew that like, I could, I could, you know, go to a place where it would, it would cost me less to be there while I got things started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably started seeing success around the sort of four to six month mark. I was landing clients um, with a lot more ease at that point. I was a virtual assistant myself before. That's how I transitioned into training them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I quite quickly from there picked up to, you know, making between five and 10,000 US dollars a month, which was for me like insane because I'd never had money before. This was like Mm -hmm. big, 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 crazy money for me. Um, And I actually created a community on Facebook because at that time I hadn't heard about the the term digital nomad, or I hadn't heard of the term virtual assistant. I just knew I was working online and I was traveling and this was so cool. And I want to meet more people doing this. So I started my own Facebook group and I was sharing, you know, my travels on there or sharing what was happening in my business. And people began to ask me, well, how are you getting clients who pay you this much money? And so I, that's really how I started transitioning into teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, I started sort of reacting to their questions and and building resources for them. Um, With that first iteration of the course that I have today, Mm -hmm. uh, we started having clients, uh, students, sorry, who were making, um, you know, pretty, pretty nice incomes, replacing their incomes within sort of six months, 12 months uh, sort of mark by, by doing that work. Um, and so I, I, I created a system that that seems to to work that I've been finessing over the years. Um, and yeah, people people seemed to trust me and seemed to want to do this. And I realized there was quite a large demand for, me, for it. And that's when I really went all in. I was like, people, I want people to have options. I wanted options. I want people to have options into a, 
a form of employment that allows them to have location independence or stay at home if they want to stay at home or if they have a disability or you know anybody who may want to find an alternative working arrangement it became my mission that I want to provide this opportunity for people to learn um, because it really can be implemented by you know most people if you have access to the internet and a couple of brain cells mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so how how did you find clients like what what did you do to find clients so I actually, I joined a lot of entrepreneurial groups on Facebook initially to learn, to see what was happening, to see what the, the marketplace was like, um, to see what was interesting people, what, 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 what tools they used, how I could possibly support them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started by just helping people in Facebook groups. Honestly, I would, people would ask a question. I would go and figure out the uh, answer to that question. And I would come back. And one of the things that I did was really impactful actually was I would um, go and create a YouTube video with the answer to their question that I had gone then and studied to find the quest, the answer. I made a YouTube video and then I would go into these groups and I would search in the search function, anybody who would ask questions around that tool or that particular problem they were having. And I could then answer them with that video saying like, here's the answer to this. If you want me to implement it, I can implement that for you. And turns out most people don't actually want to do it because it's a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started landing clients like that. Um, and then it, from there, it became more referral based. You know, I was working with people longer term and they would refer me out to their clients or their, their business um, business buddies and that kind of thing. Um, and then uh, over time, probably a lot of my clients came through paid programs that I joined where, you know, I was trying to upskill um, a lot of the networking opportunities within those programs as well. So other students um, and then referrals from them as well. So that's really how I got my first clients. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, you know, being an entrepreneur, I mean, you know, is, is difficult, (laughs) but then add Mm -hmm. in the difficulties that, you know, you're living in a place that was not like your original homeland. So, Mm -hmm. you know, first, I guess I'm wondering, like, you know, I mean, did, it, it doesn't sound like like you came from from a family from a place where it's like they they were entrepreneurs or that you had a guide on how mm. to be an entrepreneur. So this where did the insight come from? Were you ever worried because, you know, yes. you had not had that entrepreneurial experience before or the 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 guidance coming from somewhere? So were you worried? Yes, 100 percent. I'm still worried. I'm oh, worried. Really? <laughs> wow. You know, I think. I always think that it doesn't matter what kind of level of success you're at. You Mm -hmm. will always worry about the next level. (laughs) Will I ever make it? Imposter syndrome kind of things coming up. Uh, Yeah, of course I worried. I worried a lot. But at the same time, I think that I had grown a type of resilience to, uh, I guess, not having things. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. things were important to me. Money wasn't important to me. I knew how to get by in the world without money. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if things weren't working, I could just go back to doing that. I could go back to doing the work exchanges or I could just go back to London. I could just get a regular old job and figure mm-hmm. it out. So I never felt like I didn't have other options. Um, and I know that you know not having money and doing work exchanges isn't the most desirable for everybody, but I found that really interesting at that time, at that age. So um, for me, I, I was, of course I was worried, but I knew I had backups. For example, the place in Austria that I worked with the dogs, I was always welcome to come back there. That was like a second home to me. Um, I had created friendships and um, community around the world with people who would support me and I could also support them and their needs if if it came to that. Uh, mm-hmm. But I guess the other side of it was I was so gung-ho that I was going to make this money and I was going to make this work. Like there, mm-hmm. it wasn't an option. Failure wasn't an option for me. Mm-hmm. Um of course, I had failures along the way, but I knew that they were just, you know, roadblocks. They weren't not roadblocks, like like speed humps more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was gonna I was gonna overcome them. I might veer off course sometimes, but I was always gonna come back to to something that was gonna work because I I had committed myself. And I think that's I think that's um, something that separates a lot of people out. People who try this and then don't actually succeed is that commitment. You know, when you get to that first roadblock, are you gonna give up or are you gonna try and overcome this? Um, and I think that that is something that I definitely picked up from childhood with, with my family and my upbringing was that kind of like, I can overcome a lot of crap. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is as I've grown up and I'm a lot closer with my family now, I, I recognize that my mom is an entrepreneur now. Uh, mm-hmm. My dad was a tattooist, um, still is a tattooist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he was self-employed. So, you know, there's an element of entrepreneurialism there. 
Um, so I, I guess to a degree, maybe came from them, but I think a lot of it was more out of, out of necessity for me wanting to really change my life and not have to go back to the UK. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, the people who initially, you know, purchased your, your program, I mean, how long did it take for them to see results? And, you know, was, was that ever a worry too? Like, wow, will, will they be able to see the results that, that I'm trying to, to, to teach them to gain? Will, will they be able to have the life that, that, that I'm, I'm, you know, telling people is possible. Yes. Yeah. I did worry about that. One of the things that I did to sort of mitigate that worry was that I actually offered a lot of free stuff at the beginning. I actually Mm -hmm. offered a free program that I still run to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a five-day program and people have got clients just from taking that program. So that for me was if people can get results from something that they haven't paid for, that I don't need to feel guilty about if they don't get results from, um, Mm -hmm. then I can feel confident about charging for these, for the, for the full program. Um, And I would say, you know, it it really depends on the person, you know, how much they're committing to it. If they actually do the work, you know, there's a, I always say there's three types of people who buy courses. There's people who buy courses and then never look at them again. Mm -hmm. There's people who buy courses and they buy courses simply for the network and just have a little bit of skin in the game to make them do the work and then there's people who buy the courses and actually do the courses um so there's obviously going to be a lot of variety in the results but for those who actually commit themselves to it i'd say anywhere from day one to six months in between that time they're landing clients and they're sort of surpassing their previous income in their nine to five employment Uh, my very 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 first um student her name is monica she was the first person to buy my course and she now works on my team um, and she is a phenomenal person and she's been with me this whole time. And I kind of used her as a benchmark, I guess, at the beginning. I was like, if someone would buy for me that quickly, but she was kind of an, an anomaly. I think, you know, it, there was obviously a lot of worries after that, you know, things slowed down, um, but the results were there. So that's what kept pushing me to keep pushing it. I'm like, people do get results from this. This is a viable option for people. Um, and therefore I'm, I'm going to keep going with this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, so, so then let me ask you, um, so what's your like day-to-day like, like, you know, at work and then when you have some downtime? Yeah. So it's, it changes a lot depending, my business isn't sort of like uh, very structured in the way that, you know, I have the same sort of tasks to do or anything every day. It can change depending on the season, depending on the week, depending on the day, but generally speaking, I'm not working more than two to three hours a day. Um, and that's usually (laughs) that sounds wonderful oh my goodness it is wonderful (laughs) I love it and it's taken me a long time to get here so I I don't want to I don't want to glamorize it saying oh my god it's great yeah because it it took a lot of hard work to get here um but I'm, I'm so grateful that I put that work in because now I do have a lot of free time to engage in activities that that excite me um you know I'm currently house sitting in Mexico with my wife and we have five dogs and we hike up the mountains for three hours a day with the dogs. I love that. Um, I could spend time with friends and family really my, and the, when I work, when I am most creative and I'm generally most creative in the evenings. Um, so I get to work when I want as well, unless I have uh, something like a podcast episode or something with a fixed time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd say two to three hours a day. And then obviously that can get much busier around. I have like launches for my program periodically uh, four times a year throughout the year. Um, and that, that can be a lot more busy. I can be working 10 hours a day, but then, you know, that, that sort of evens out all the times where I'm doing two to three hours a day. So it's very different, but if for the, for those who I'm teaching, the virtual assistants is a little bit more uh, structured. They may have sort of, it depends on how many hours they want to work. That could be from anywhere from two hours a day to 10 hours a day. If they wanted, they can take on as much as they want or as little as they want. Um, and usually they have a little bit more strict um, structure of how they work just to, to, to balance their clients out a bit easier. But since I've moved to training and, you know, being a course creator, I do have a lot more flexibility and freedom. Say at the beginning, I had no boundaries around what was work and what was not work. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely have been known to pull all-nighters, you know, 18-hour uh, days sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I definitely reached a point of burnout where I was like, there has to be a better way to do this. And I hired team members. Oh, sorry, my AirPod just fell out of my ear. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I hired team members as I, as I got, you know, more income. I was able to outsource a lot of stuff as well. But yeah, in those beginning days, 10 hours to 16 hours a day, probably mm-hmm. five to six days a week was the usual. Um, but it, I was burning out with that. In, in some ways, I wouldn't mind if I w- was where I am now in two years time just to have not burned myself out in that way because I had quite a difficult couple of years in the beginning, in the, in the middle, I would say. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it was a lot of work at the beginning, but I, I'm not for that whole, you know, hustle hard culture thing. Mm-hmm. That's something I actively, actively, uh, actively advocate against now mm-hmm. uh, because I experienced this terrible burnout from it as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, so how long did it take you before you were able to carve out like a place where you were like a go-to, like a source for others who wanted to do what you were doing? To standing out, for example, one, my whole thing was about becoming a digital nomad, you know, that a lot of people are just training VAs, you know, stay-at-home moms, military wives, that kind of mm-hmm. thing, um, which is great as well and, and such a uh, important work that they're doing. But for me, my my sort of area was like, you can travel with this. Mm-hmm. So I had that kind of like um, niched down uh, element there. And then I think also being um, someone who's queer, I have a lot of LGBTQ people coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, so just having those few differentiators has really been helpful I think in in standing out within those spaces mm-hmm. uh, and I wouldn't say that I'm the go-to across the board for digital nomad stuff or VA stuff but I am within those mm-hmm. spaces mm-hmm. um and then speaking about that stuff you know you know bringing that into my business um talking about my lifestyle talking about who I am my identities um and then and then just networking like a mm-hmm. lot of networking mm-hmm. a lot of going to events a lot of buying other people's programs to network with them a lot of um you know I've, I've had mentors across the years who have um helped elevate me as well i'm not i, I would never say i did this all on my own this has very much been a, a community effort i think mm-hmm. um but yeah i think i think just having some differentiators has really really helped mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah did you, you did you ever think like like this was all possible when you first started like the level of success you have reached or you know or or did you did you expect something a little bit less like what what were your expectations i guess i wonder uh not this uh, <laughs> okay i i i never you know i was never someone who had any, you know, even from a young age, I never had dreams like, oh, I'm going to be an astronaut or I'm going to be a doctor uh-huh. or, gonna, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I never really knew what I wanted to do. And I, I would still to this day say, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, when I started this, I had no idea what was possible. I think um, I was kind of like a, what's that the term? Like a, like a fish out of water, I guess. At the mm-hmm, beginning. Mm-hmm. It was just like learning and flapping around and <laughs> trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. Um, which we all are when we're starting something new. Um, no, I, I didn't, I didn't really, no, I, I never really expected any of this, but as I got into things and as I started to see how things work and, you know, who the right people to know were and, you know, how to talk about my services, how to, you know, get an audience engaged, that kind of stuff. Um, it just really skyrocketed from there. And I would say that the digital nomad community has been um, very helpful in, in, I know I've said it before, but elevating me um, and providing opportunities to me. And, you know, I always say it it wasn't just me. It was a community, but of course, a lot of it was me as well. It's a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess I never really had a goal in mind with it. My goal was always to, I want to make enough money that I could travel. Okay. This is really silly, but I'm going to tell you my big goal. Mm -hmm. My big goal was always if I could afford to live in New York city one mm-hmm. day, then mm-hmm. I've made it. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so New York city at, at what cost? Cause obviously there's various levels yeah, of living there. Exactly. So at, yeah. at what, what would, what was the amount? Like five to 6,000 us a month would be okay. like, okay. I made it. I'm I've, you know, and I've had months where I surpassed that that's probably my average right now, but I have months yeah. that surpassed that significantly. But, and for me, that was my indicator of success. It was like, if I could live anywhere in the world, mm-hmm without worry, then I, then I've done good. Cause I want to be able to travel everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess I never really expected things to go the way they did. I'm really happy they did. I'm really happy with the way things are going. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's not something I really expected at the beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And are there, are there, you know, are there further expectations that you have of your business? I'm assuming there are, you know, um, because it sounds like you're a real go-getter. So are there further <laughs> goals that you have in mind? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm still kind of, I'm, I, I would say right now I'm in a transitional stage. I mm-hmm. love what I do and I feel like I'm at a point where things need to either get bigger or mm-hmm. I need to find something else that's really interesting me. Um, because I, I am someone who's always changed what I do and, and, you know, been very flexible in my working arrangements as we spoke about. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I feel like I may want to start introducing another arm to what I do. And that is, um, you know, I've been 
selling courses for a long time now as an mm-hmm. entrepreneur. I've been mentoring people. I've been doing sales, marketing, everything. And I, I feel like I might want to move into supporting people in course creation. In the November, just before I'd gone for a, a pretty extreme breakup of a long-term mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, you know, having the kind of lifestyle that I had moving around so much and then the person that was with me doing that being gone all of a sudden and then we're in lockdown, mm-hmm. I was like very, very, very lonely and very concerned about what my, mm-hmm. next, my next steps were. Um, I didn't know, I I had always loved the city of Budapest. That's where I I had started my business and I've gone back periodically over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, So in my mind, I was, I was going to go to Budapest. I was going to get an apartment. I was going to stay there Mm -hmm. um, until whatever, but I I did go to Budapest and I found myself in an apartment where the plumbing wasn't working. The heating wasn't working. We were going into lockdown and I was like, I can't do this. I, I, I'm not feeling good. So I went to Austria to stay with um, a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. who turned out to be my wife today. So interesting mm-hmm. story. Oh, <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, not today in general, like she is my wife now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, I get know. that. I get that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just congratulations on on meeting someone and finding someone who you love and they love you. Yeah, because I thank know you. that <laughs> it's not that easy. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really not. <laughs> um, and especially under the conditions. So um, she had invited me to come and stay with her in Austria. Mm-hmm. Um, they had space in their apartment. And, mm-hmm. you know, I knew a few of the people there and I was like, you know what, I would rather be around people in that apartment. So I'm not isolated. Uh, so I went there, but that, for those first few months, I was like, oh my God, like I need to get the first flight out somewhere and somewhere that I can go. And, you know, I actually ended up getting COVID that year and ended mm-hmm. up having long COVID um, mm-hmm. only kind of in the last few months now that I'm starting to feel back to normal fully. Mm-hmm. Um, so I being forced to slow down like that was good for me though. Mm-hmm. I needed that. Um, and that's, I think what's prompted me to want to be more settled now. Mm-hmm. I realized that maybe what my friends and family had been saying about me running away from something might have had some truth in it. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I like to think I was running towards something. I'm, I'm very much a forward uh, thinker in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I needed that. I needed a little bit of downtime I needed a little bit of like actually there's nothing to do and there's nothing more important than just being alive right now mm-hmm. um and that really uh that really was good for my soul after the initial panic of where do I go um and who will take me and where do I live actually was a big one for me like I don't have a residency anywhere what will I do I ended up getting residency in Austria which was a bureaucratic nightmare during COVID but I did mm-hmm. that um yeah so yeah it, it, I think it one of the things that I found was that my, not just myself, but a lot of other people who had been traveling a lot and didn't have a home base mm-hmm. were finding themselves like, I don't know where home is anymore. Um, and so having that opportunity to fill into what a home might be like was fantastic for me, ultimately. What, what was the visa process like, um, you know, mm-hmm. say going to Budapest, going to Austria, like in, in general, you know, going from place to place to place, like have there been places that were easy and then places mm-hmm. that were like difficult where you just thought oh my god what, why is this so hard <laughs> yes there's been a, a wide variety um you know a lot of um latin american countries have very generous visas um for certain yeah. passport holders up, up to six months without uh, any pre- previous paperwork or anything just arrival mm-hmm. um so those those ones are always really good um uh, where else? I'd say Thailand is somewhere that I have spent a lot of time in. Um, I, I just coming back from there now that had been the most difficult, but that was with added COVID measures in, in place. That was a absolute logistical nightmare to, to mm-hmm. obtain. Um, it included going to an embassy. It included then telling me that I couldn't go to the embassy. I had to do it online. And then I did it online and then they refused it because I wasn't in the right country to apply, even though I was. And, um, yeah. And then the quarantine and then all the stuff. Um, so that, that was probably one of the most difficult, but obviously that's, that's due to what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but Thailand in general has been for someone like myself who likes to spend more than one or two months in that place is, is less accommodating unless you have some sort of work visa or, um, you know, education visa or something like that. So I generally have spent sort of three months at a time there. Um, Europe, um, until Brexit was fantastic because I, as a Brit, I could travel around freely in Europe, but that's not the case anymore. So that's 90 days at a time now. Mm. Um, yeah, I'd say the easiest has consistently been Mexico. That was another reason for coming here. The, um, temporary residence visa that I have now lasts for four years and you can turn that into permanent after four years. Um, and that was 
pretty easy to obtain. You just had to show that you earned a certain amount of money for the past six months, um, go to a consulate outside the country and they pre-approve you. And um, next week I'm going to get the, uh, you, you exchange that for the um, official residence card. So I'll be doing that next week and I'll be an official resident of Mexico. Um, so that was really, really, that was one of the reasons actually, you know, for me and my wife, we were always torn between do we want to live in Mexico or Thailand? We love both places equally. They have a differing pros and cons, but they really meet the things that we need and want. And um, Mexico won mostly by the, the ease of actually obtaining this. Uh, in, in Thailand, we would have had to pay a hefty sum for a five-year visa that, to be honest, we weren't willing to part with in the end. Uh, mm-hmm. So this was just the easiest option. And, uh, you know, I always say, go where treats you good. They treat mm-hmm. me good here. So wow okay and then just going back to your business real quick so what what have been the struggles and joys of you know having a business um the struggles have been feeling like I'm not good enough feeling like no one will listen to me feeling Mm -hmm. like I suck I'm ugly I don't want to show my face Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) all that kind of stuff that maybe we have generally can be really heightened I think (laughs) when Mm -hmm. you run a business when you're required to show up for you and only you Mm -hmm. um and the responsibility is solely on you whether it works or not Mm -hmm. um so a lot of that, I still get that kind of stuff to this day. And as I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm like, oh man, I gotta go live and I got wrinkles showing. I got, <laughs> you know, honestly, I have a lot of body issues. That's a whole other story, but mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that um, it's heightened those kind of things. A lot of insecurities in me um, mm-hmm. so, and the negatives. And obviously there's the ebb and flow of the, the financial situation. There are times where it's low and there are times where it's high and you have to ride out the low times knowing that it will come back up again. But I would be lying if I said that every time it goes low, I don't, every time it goes low, I don't go onto indeed.com and check out what jobs are available. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens. I'm like, and then, you know, the money starts coming in again. I'm like, what was I thinking? I love this. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of an ebb and flow. Um, and I'd say that that learning to be okay with that is, it's still something I'm figuring out. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately I wouldn't give up the, the freedom that I have to, you know, work two, three hours a day now. I, I, I couldn't, I, I would say I'm traditionally unemployable now. And then the joys of course are, you know, aside from the monetary part is being able to have a positive impact in so many people's lives. I've trained over 16,000 people now knowing that I've had an wow. impact mm-hmm. on that many people makes me feel really like I've done something good with my life. Um, also the community that's come from that almost anywhere I go in the world, I have uh, students that I'll bump into. I can have meetups. I have retreats with them. Um, I have two in town just here right now uh, this week. Um, and next week there's more coming. So because there's so many people and they're such a global community, I'm able to meet up with them and have those in-person connections wherever I go. So that's something I really, really value. Um, and then I guess just meeting a lot of interesting people, you know, mm-hmm. like, like your podcast here, you get to speak to so many different people doing interesting things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, entrepreneurship is that you're meeting different people doing awesome things all the time. Um, and that really fuels my um, desire for newness, which I, which I've always had for the travel now, but I get that from meeting people too. So mm-hmm. um, experiences, just the experiences you have, the opportunities you have, but having that opportunity was life-changing for me. I'm, I'm a very insecure person. I'm really introverted. I have a lot of sort of personal anxieties, but I work through them and my business allows me to work through them in a way that is beneficial to me and other people. So that's pretty cool. I really like that. Mm, mm, nice nice okay so then now on a more personal level what have been the struggles and joys then of being an expat uh so far in mexico i'm loving it (laughs) but in general um you know i've spent three years in italy so i would consider myself i was an expat at that time i spent Mm -hmm. two years in thailand that was uh, i would consider myself an expat there Mm -hmm. some of the hard things i really do not have a brain for languages and i am like very disappointed in myself constantly with that um, i seem okay. to be i seem to be much slower than other people around me learning i'm always the person who's like still stuck on the hello my name is you know, for weeks and weeks and weeks mm-hmm. um, so i think language barriers have always been a struggle for me um i'm not sure if that is uh, the adhd or my unwillingness to learn i don't know but i really do struggle with learning languages effectively so i always have uh, you know barriers with the local populations with that um you know i I do my best and i'm I'm hoping that being here a longer time that i'll be able to overcome that with more time Mm -hmm. um probably also um just you know there's like little nuances in different cultures that you can never quite fully understand as an outsider Mm -hmm. um and you know they they, there's a saying in thailand that that you know 
Farangs are welcome. Farang is foreigner in Thailand. Farangs are welcome, but they're never Thai. They're never fully like, you know, there's there's a very clear distinction in culture that you can never quite get. Um, and it's the little tonalities in the way they speak, or it's in the in the what they're really saying when they say XYZ. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's some things that you'll never quite understand. And that that can be frustrating because you want to feel like you belong somewhere but ultimately you are from somewhere else and you Mm -hmm. have a different upbringing and different socialization and different ideas Um, and they can come together and you can make wonderful amazing connections and beautiful things together with that but um, there is always that element of feeling a little bit like you're not quite you're you're not them you know Mm -hmm. Um, other than that I would say just general day-to-day logistical stuff like I can't figure out how to ask for what I need when I'm buying a sim card or you know just mm-hmm, like little mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. um and then yeah I, I think mostly the big thing for me especially when you stay somewhere longer is feeling like you you can't fully integrate sometimes in certain mm-hmm. circles um you know you, you get invited to the parties but you're you're never the person that's like you know you're an afterthought sometimes I feel mm-hmm. um you're not like the most important, not that I want to be the most important person at the party, but when you're out with your friends and your home country, it's like, you know, you're, you're the main gang, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, whereas here it's like, oh, and invite the new girl or invite, invite the, the, the English girl. Um, and I felt, I find myself consistently hanging out with other expats, which is not necessarily the only people I want to hang out with. I do want to integrate. I do want to, um, you know, have local friends and experiences and, um, understand the way of life better but sometimes there, there are barriers and I, I guess that that you know upsets me sometimes but that's just the way it is it's the life I've chosen I guess mm-hmm. you know when you mentioned also the breakup that you had and you know you felt lonely and alone like how how do you resolve that how how do you how do you accept that how do you deal with that um mm-hmm. when you are obviously living in a foreign country how do you deal with feeling lonely and alone I mean initially what I did was lock myself up in my apartment for a month so I I, I don't condone that it's not healthy Mm -hmm. at all but um that's what Mm -hmm. I did I ordered a lot of food takeaway and uh locked myself in my apartment for and actually I think I needed that I think I needed to just be away and feel like I was in a space that was mine Mm -hmm. um I had rented an apartment in Bangkok at the time so I I saw out the lease on that place before moving from Thailand. I knew that I wasn't going to stay in Thailand post breakup. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, having that space that was mine and not feeling like I didn't feel like I was in a foreign country because I was in my space. I needed that. I needed to feel like I had my, you know, earthly possessions around me. And it was a place that I had decorated and uh, gave me a sense of comfort that I probably wouldn't find if I'd been walking the streets of Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Um so having that, and then I did actually go and spend three months with family after that. I, I, I have uh, some family in the US, mm-hmm. uh, my aunts who I'm very, very close to, they live on Long Island, just off of New York. And um, mm-hmm. I, I reached out for help at that point. I was at a pretty low point. Um, so just, just before COVID. And I said, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling on my own. Can I, can I come and stay with you for three months? So I did that. Um, so that was, you know, that was really helpful for me. And I think, uh, not everyone has that opportunity, of course. Um, but if mm-hmm. you do that, you know, I think when you're traveling and stuff, maintaining relationships with people at home is still really important yeah. <laughs> because you never know when something's going to come up. Family's family at the end of the day, um, no matter any type of, type of issues. I think that um, for the most part, uh, most people's family would jump in if there was a, a real crisis. And for me, I, I would say I was in a pretty crisis situation at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So relying on, you know, people who love me and also just taking that time to be in a space that was uh, very distinctly my own that I felt safe in. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so, so you've also mentioned having created like a large community. So, mm-hmm. you know, what, what has it been like making friends in different places? How, how do you make friends in different places? Um, yeah. Like I said, I'm pretty introverted, so it's not always my first thing to think about but there always comes a point where I'm like okay I need to go out and socialize because this is ridiculous mm-hmm. um I usually go onto Facebook groups um and just put in like you know expats name of the city or um you know even like dog lovers name of the city like find interests uh, groups of interest in these areas as well mm-hmm. um, and then re- simply reach out and just be like hey I'm in town I'm gonna be here for x amount of months or years or whatever I've moved here now um and I'm looking to hang out with people who are maybe interested in entrepreneurship for like co-working for the day or maybe want to grab some drinks talk about the city um and or take a class in something I did lindy hop dancing in Bangkok to meet people Ooh. um 
yeah, I, I, I'll kind of like entertain my curiosities as a way to uh, meet people as well. So I'll, I'll take some class or something like that. I went horse riding here last year to meet people. Um, yeah, and using Airbnb, Airbnb experiences for that is cool. Um, but generally speaking, I use Facebook groups for the most part. Um, and then I can also now rely on uh, the community that I've built there. You know, they've got people in most places here who could be uh, local guides and, and friends. So that's always nice. But yeah, Facebook groups and, and sometimes meetup.com as well, just for more specific things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think uh, just to add on to that as well, another thing that changed for me throughout that process was you know, like you said, the social media posts aren't necessarily mm-hmm. the reality on, on the mm-hmm. day-to-day. Um, you know, you might post on Instagram three times a week, but what's what's happening the rest of the week? Um, mm-hmm. And so one of the things that changed for me through that experience of reaching out to my family and, you know, admitting vulnerability, admitting that I needed some help at that time mm-hmm. uh, was that I, I really struggled in my business at that time. I, I kind of took like a unplanned hiatus from my business and people, you know, I my, my role now is to support my students and I wasn't doing that. And so I actually had to be really frank with them and say like, I'm having a hard time right now. And I know that, you know, I'm the person that you currently look up to in some, in some degree, but I'm struggling too. You know, I, I have my struggles too. And, and I started being a bit more transparent on social media and that has been mm-hmm. a wonderful revelation to be able to do that and know that my business isn't negatively impacted when I can be honest. So I just wanted to add that. Cause I think that, um, a lot of people feel like uh, when they're building a business, they need to be really uh, polished and that kind of thing. And I kind of gave that up after that experience. And it's, it's been really good. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've gotten this final, you know, residency in Mexico. So mm-hmm. is this your forever home? Uh, time will tell, I guess. Um, <laughs> I would like to think so. I, I still have Thailand in the back of my mind um, mm-hmm. as a possible. And, and maybe what it looks like is that we do four years here and then we do the five-year visa there. And then we come mm-hmm. up here. My ideal scenario for home would be to have three homes in three places that I love that oh, I okay. go between and I walk into that house. My desk is there. My stuff is there. It feels like home. Mm-hmm. I have a dog that comes with me to those three places. Um, and that's, that's my ideal scenario. I'm not there yet financially or emotionally or anything, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that is my ideal scenario is to have three places that I consider home that are fixed homes. I'm not packing up my bags to take my stuff with me when I go to the next one. I just have my stuff there. Like it feels like home the moment I enter. So mm-hmm. I feel like Mexico is a good place for me to start creating that first home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how long that will take. And I don't know if that will change, but for now, this is home. And um, I'm not really thinking about it much further than that. Cause I'm, I'm really curious to see how things go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you mentioned Thailand several times. So what, what mm-hmm. is it about Thailand that, you know, you find so, so special in your heart? Um, I think for me that, this is going to sound a little bit wrong, but because <laughs> the language is so very different to English, mm-hmm. I can feel very um, anonymous there. And I like oh, that okay. feeling. Okay. I like that feeling as an introvert, I can walk down the street. I don't understand what people are saying. I'm not taking in as much outside um, uh, stimuli, I guess. I can be very much uh, introverted there and really feel into that time and feel um, with myself. I really like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really like the culture. I, I really appreciate uh, the Buddhist um, way of being in general. It's much more um, calm. I feel like I always say um, it's a country where, of course, there's crime like in every country, but it's a country where the crimes are not necessarily going to be violent. It's more just an opportunist thing mm-hmm. um, if that does happen. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that as well. I like I feel like there's a level of safety there that I haven't felt in many other places to, to that level for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like and I always say I could walk down an alleyway in a, a, a quote unquote bad part of Bangkok drunk with my phone hanging out of my back pocket and I would be fine you know like okay. that's how I feel there mm-hmm. not that necessarily I would do that but I, to demonstrate that I feel really really safe there mm-hmm. um and that's not I, I don't have that everywhere so that's something that really plays a big factor for me is that that level of safety um convenience it's really convenient everything works there's um food apps galore the taxis the transport systems the everything is set up you don't really have to think much about day-to-day things and I, I really appreciate convenience it's one of my like highest values and I know that sounds ridiculous but it really is I like stuff working and working smoothly and mm-hmm. um not having to worry about you know day-to-day little things mm-hmm. um I appreciate that um the weather actually I don't love the weather I'm I'm a redhead so I literally you know 10 minutes in the sun and I'm in bed <laughs> for two days with a migraine so mm-hmm. um 
I don't love the weather, but I do appreciate, you know, um, the landscapes. I appreciate the beaches, the mountains, the, the green, the, the um, sort of lush tropical greens really give me a sense of um, peace and calm. And I, because I'm an introvert, I spend a lot of time at home and I can afford to have a very, very nice home there with aircon. And I, I'm very much happy with that. So it just ticks a lot of my boxes. It's super gay friendly. It's, um, you know, it, it's a really cool emerging economy. Uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurship and big ideas. And I have a lot of friends there. So that's always something that brings me back is having that community that I've built there as well. Is there anything that you currently miss about your original homeland, um, you know, whether it's, you know, America or the UK um, or that, you know, in the past, you, you know, when you were in other lands that you missed? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. With England, I miss the food. And I know England isn't notoriously <laughs> great food, Yeah, but, you know, I grew up on it. So it's my home food. So, you know, I miss Yorkshire puddings and I miss great roasted potatoes. You can't roast a potato like you can in Britain for some reason. You just mm-hmm. can't. Um, what else? Uh, I, I miss my friends. I miss my family, of course. That goes without saying. Um, but I do get the opportunity. They And I think for them, it's exciting that they get to meet me in, in cool places as well. So they get to have that experience. Um, so that's, that's not really the biggest thing. Uh, mostly, I would say that one, of, and it's actually been a struggle, is that because I have moved around so much in the past, um, finding a place to call home has been very difficult for me because I found things that I love in lots of places. Um, and then I miss those places. So I was just in, no, I was in Mexico last year. And I said to my wife, I need to go back to Thailand. I really miss Thailand. So we went to Thailand. Mm-hmm. Then I was in Thailand. I was like, I really miss Mexico. And <laughs> I've been here two weeks. And I'm like, I miss Thailand. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. and I think, I, I mean, I spoke to my best friend today about this because she's just settled in um, Porto in Portugal after traveling for many years, like myself, we're kind of in a similar situation. I said, what made you choose Porto? And she said, I thought, I didn't think anymore. I just went with my feeling um, because I feel like when you've been moving around a lot, you overthink, you're like, well, this place, and you get really nitpicky about little things that actually don't matter because any place would work probably if you put in the effort to make it work and, and found friends and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So she was like, I just went with my way, my feeling instead of my brain, because I knew I had to settle, I needed it. And so I was like, Portugal sounds good. Then she went to Lisbon and she was like, hmm maybe not Lisbon. And she went to Porto. She was like, yeah, this feels good. Then she went to visit an apartment. Yeah, this feels good. And I was like, so you didn't, you're not worried about it. She's like, of course I'm worried, but I'm just ignoring my brain right now because our brains are wired to be like sort of judging places constantly because there's so many to choose from, mm-hmm. uh, which is a wonderfully privileged uh, thing to, to be worried about. But um, yeah, I think, I think for me, I'm trying to, trying to lead with my gut instinct right now more than uh what makes sense on a surface level because any place would really work. And I think that's something that um, I do like to tell people is that any place could become home if you have a few things in place. And ultimately I think home is within us um, Mm -hmm. and it's how we feel about ourselves in a certain place. And we can always change that. So I have decided on Mexico now, but I, I definitely miss other places, of course, but I'm, I'm choosing to be here and I'm choosing to commit to this now. Uh, your wife, like, I mean, wh- where did you guys meet? And when, you know, when, when you finally started to like, you know, I guess fall in love with this person, you know, and <laughs> what was the conversation like, like, Hey, you know, let's, let's live here. Or, you know, this is the, Mm. this is the, 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 the digital nomad life that, that, that I've been pursuing that, you know, maybe, maybe I still want to pursue. Like what, what, what was that conversation like? Mm. So we actually met years before we got together. Uh, We met in Lisbon when actually, when I was talking on that stage in the photo you mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, she was a ticket holder to that event. Um, Oh, nice. And prior to uh, the event starting, there were some meetups and some, uh, you know, pre-parties and that kind of thing. And we met there. Um, I was in a long-term relationship. She was in a long-term relationship. Um, So, you know, we got on like a house on fire, but we never considered, you know, being together at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, So we we remained friends for a good four years or so. Um, And then during that breakup and then finding myself in Austria after, you know, spending that time with my family as well. Um, you know, the first couple of months I was, I was still, um, you know, not hundred percent myself. Um, but during lockdown, we had a hell of a lot of time together and it, mm-hmm. that was a fun lockdown. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, ultimately what blossomed out of that was just this, like, there's a reason that we've continuously keep coming back to one another. Um, there's just an alignment here that is 
indescribable that I've, I've never had that with anyone else. And she said the same. Um, and so we, you know, we, we started, I guess, officially dating. Um, uh, I moved from my room to her room, that kind of thing. <laughs> and yeah, it was a bit weird, but, and it was weird cause we were in lockdown and I'm like, we're like blossoming in lockdown. This is awesome. Um, and then, uh, and then we got sick together. That was a bonding moment. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it was tw- It was in 20, oh man, when did I get married? What year is it? It's 2022. We got married last year. Um, so we've only been married one year. It's just our anniversary a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And um, when we decided that, it was actually not probably the most traditional way. We, because I had, was staying in Austria and I had to become legally resident there because of, um, you know, I was there for so long because of COVID. Uh, and Brexit had happened. So I wasn't actually able to stay there more than 90 days, but I had, they were given some grace period for, for foreigners who were there. Um, and so we went, we, we got me, um, registered, like pre-registered as like, I intend to become a resident type thing. We went to the offices, we did that. Um, and then they asked me that, you know, I had to make it formalize and I had to bring in documentation about what I was earning, all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. So we got all this documentation together, showed that I had a business that I was, you know, able to support myself. Um, and we sat down and they said, it's not enough money. And I said, oh, okay. Um, what are my options? And he said, uh, you need to have five years of uh, money moving. You need to have enough money to support yourself for five years moving forward. I said, well, that, that's crazy. That's like a hell of a lot of savings. And it's by Austrian standards, which is a very high quality and a high cost uh, country overall. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I don't have five years of um, you know, income. So uh, he knew we were in a relationship. He said, we can get married. And we kind of looked at each other and just smiled and were like, like we were both thinking that anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we went home and we talked about it. We we're like, well, sh- should we get married? Like, uh, should we get married? <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we were like, well, you know, I, I said to her, I said, to be honest, I, I, I imagined us getting married. Like I, for me, the moment that we started dating, like the moment that I moved into this house, I was like, this is my person. And she said the same. Um, mm-hmm. So we were like, let's, let's do it. It wasn't super romantic, but it kind of was because it was, also, we were like, you know, I don't want this to be, we're doing this for the visa. Cause in the end, actually the visa didn't even work and we ended mm-hmm. up leaving. Um, mm-hmm. But we did get married in Austria during lockdown with no people there with masks on in a room with a, a plexiglass thing between us and the person. Um, and for us, I was like, this was perfect. There was nothing to plan. There was no stress about family trying to overtake anything or invite people you don't care about or large expenditure that was totally unnecessary. We're not people that need that. Um, so we really enjoyed that aspect. And then, you know, we, we said to each other, we're not even doing this for the visa anymore. We're doing this because we were always going to do this and it's just maybe happening sooner than it was ever going to happen. So it was a no brainer for us. He said that, and it kind of just sparked what we'd already been thinking. And, uh, yeah, so we got married and then literally the day after we got married, we left Austria because, um, for some reason the marriage wasn't, I would have had to have a job there and stuff. And I was like, I'm not giving up my business to work here and let's go. And at that time things were starting to open up. And that's when we went to Mexico because Mexico was open at that time and I had nowhere else to go and she had nowhere else to go. So we found ourselves in Mexico. And, um, yeah, I mean, so, so you guys are in Mexico and, you know, at some point, you know, maybe you never know, you know, you might live somewhere else as well. Um, Mm -hmm. so that kind of like ties everything in that we've been talking about. You've created a community, you've moved away from home, you've created a family with someone else who you love, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you have residency in a country, um, and really, you know, you, you could decide to move somewhere else. So with all these things, it sounds like you've been able to create a home for yourself. So mm-hmm. what's your definition of home? Definition of home. Home is going to sound really cheesy and cliche, but home <laughs> is not a place. Home is a feeling. And when mm-hmm. you feel it, that's when you know you're home. And that's what I'm feeling now. So that, yeah. that's kind of how I describe it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, so much that we've talked about today. This has been a real pleasure, real pleasure. Okay. Thank you. you. Yeah. Well, I'm going to leave it there for today, Hannah. And I want to thank you for taking the time to be interviewed by me on this podcast. Are we home yet? A podcast where I talk to expats about what it's like living abroad, the struggles, the joys, and hopefully along the way, we're inspiring future expats to go, you know, maybe live their best lives somewhere new, have an amazing experience. Okay. And also I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, This podcast would not exist without people listening. So with that, I hope that everyone has a great day and you too as well. Have a great day, Hannah. 
Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye-bye. Up next is my next guest, Brie. She's an American living in Belize with her husband and two young sons. This interview was very inspirational, motivational. She talked about inner work and the spirit calling them and how amazing it is to live off of Belize on an island. Tune in. I'm glad you enjoyed the show. Remember to hit subscribe on your podcast player and also leave a great review and rating of this podcast as well. I'm Jalila Clark. See you next time.